Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. If you would stand for our scripture reading, I'm going to read all of Psalm 36 as our scripture reading today. It's on page 556 if you want to look it up in the Bible that is in your chair. This is uh, from David. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And before we proceed, I certainly want to lend my voice and wish... Those of you who are mothers, a happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Today is one day of the year when those of you who are mothers are honored and celebrated for all the energy and all the love and passion you have given. And for the mostly hidden ways, unseen ways, you have tirelessly poured yourselves out in service to your families and you deserve every single bit of affirmation and celebration and expense that you may receive today. So I want to honor you and thank you and wish you a very happy Mother's Day. And I wonder if any of us were just a bit nervous when our Mother's Day scripture reading began with the wonderfully light and joyful words, I have a message from God concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Enjoy your brunch. Hang with me. This is such a fascinating psalm because in these verses, David covers the whole spectrum from the desperate wickedness of humanity to the immeasurable beauty and goodness and grace of God. The first four verses of this psalm are about human wickedness in uh, in this world. The middle five are about God's goodness and In the last three, David prays that God would be present to his followers in the midst of all the chaos. And he prays that his followers, God's followers, would be present to him. And so the flow of this psalm captures these two baffling and paradoxical truths. Humanity is unimaginably destructive and evil and 
God is unimaginably loving and gracious and good. And these two realities constantly intersect and overlap in this world, and they confound us. And we've likely stood right in the middle of this hurricane of chaos and confusion many times. Perhaps while reading the news, we come across another record-breaking story of human depravity. We glance up from the page and we wonder, will we humans ever exhaust our ability to invent evil and manufacture destruction? And at the same time, we also wonder, where is God? And how does he patiently dwell in the midst of this mind-bending chaos. This is a beautiful psalm because it is stunningly authentic. And it offers, believe it or not, a good word for us on this Mother's Day. Now, at Oak Hills Church, I think we give ample time to the hard and difficult aspects of life and to the kind of fevered darkness of humanity. I think we devote plenty of time to brooding over the brokenness of the human soul and over the brokenness of the world. You see, you happen to have a pastor who is probably too intrigued by the turmoil and the dark side of the human soul and of this world. The cloud, if you will, is usually more interesting to this pastor than the silver lining. So this pastor could turn a birthday celebration into a meditation on being one year closer to death. So it is very fortunate for all of us, that Pastor Lorraine is not speaking today, <laughs> but in fact I am. So today I want us to set aside the whole first part of Psalm 36, the heavy and the dark reality of human wickedness. And I want to focus today on the beauty and the goodness of God that saturates this world and fills our lives. And I'd like us to think together about how we can live with greater awareness of God and greater awareness of his goodness in the midst, right in the midst, of the real lives we have and that we might learn to celebrate his abundant goodness through our sharpened awareness. We are in the season of Eastertide where we continue to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and the new world that began the day he rose from the grave. And today we're talking about celebrating through awareness. That is, celebrating by being aware of and present to the presence of God and his goodness in our everyday lives and obligations and challenges. How do we live our moments in his presence and navigate life celebrating his abundant goodness. Let's talk first about the idea that God is always present with us. Listen to reality, according to David, in Psalm 36. And it's an important word. Listen to reality, according to David, in Psalm 36. Not reality when all the wickedness is gone. Not reality some glorious day somewhere out there in the future. And not reality if it feels like reality or if it seems like reality, but reality right now in the paradox where human wickedness and God's goodness coexist. Reality, in other words, in real life right now, today, this moment. Verse 6 says, God preserves both people and animals. He preserves us. 
and our dogs and our cats. Maybe not the cats, but he preserves us. In Hebrew, this verse actually says God establishes a spacious place for us to live. And in this wide, God-soaked space, we are free and we are in fact safe because he is present with us. And he is king over everything. In verse 7, reality, according to David, is that people like us, and here's his phrase, take refuge in the shadow of his wings. Drawing on the image of a mother bird, we find refuge, protection, safety, peace, right now, in the midst of real life, under God's sheltering wings, because we live in his presence. In verse 8, David says, right now, in the midst of life's chaos, this great phrase, we feast on the abundance of his house. He gives us drink from his river of delights. It's a great picture. In Hebrew, we drink our fill from his river, and the word is of Eden, as in Garden of Eden, as in literally the Garden of Delight, the river of delight. We drink our fill from his river of satisfying goodness, and the river never runs dry. David is enthralled with God being present with us, and in verse 9 he says, He is the fountain of life, the inexhaustible spring that nourishes life the way it was intended to be experienced in all of its goodness. And he finishes verse 9, In God's light we see light. As we contemplate, in other words, his goodness and joy and beauty, we start seeing his goodness and his joy and his beauty all around us. Right now, in the midst of everyday life and obligation and challenge. I mean, there is no confusion on this one. The Bible is one long story of God's presence with his people in the midst of their real and actual lives. He was with Adam and Eve in the garden. When they rebelled, interestingly, they hid from him. He was with Abraham on his long journey to father a nation. He was with Joseph in his season of unjust suffering. He was with the Israelites throughout their various captivities in Egypt and Babylon and Assyria. When Moses tries to skip the assignment of leading the Israelites out of Egypt, Moses pleads with God. He says, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says this simple response, I will be with you. When Moses dies and Joshua is taking over the leadership of Israel, God says to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Old Testament is jam-packed with this glorious news that God is present with his people. Then we come into the New Testament. Gabriel says to the, Gabriel the angel says to Mary, Greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that the Messiah would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus' famous last words to his disciples as he ascended into heaven. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon 
the first disciples, and he is thereafter with them. Individually, communally, and in the midst of their work and their mission and their everyday lives. One of the Apostle Paul's favorite phrases is, in Christ. And his prayer for people is that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Now we have barely started to explore the tip, much less the whole iceberg. It is a wonderfully simple yet incredibly profound truth of the entire Bible. God is with his people. He dwells with and in those who follow him. He is always present with us in the midst of whatever we are doing or dealing with. So our lives happen every moment and every detail of them in his presence. So in real, concrete, difference-making ways, God is with us and God is present in this world. Now, God has a style, believe it or not. He has a way. And given his style and way, he's probably not going to be overly dramatic or overly loud in how he is with us. It is simply not his style. So he does not typically explode on a scene. He's not a big personality God. He is subtle. Remember, he was born as a baby in a barn in the middle of nowhere. So he is with us in similarly quiet, obscure even, and hidden ways. The other day, Julie and I met up at some store for whatever reason, and after we were finished there, she said to me, I'm going to go over to this other store, and then I'm going to go eat at such and such a place. Why don't you join me? And I didn't think I could make it, so we both left in our own cars and went our separate ways. But then while I was driving away, I decided that I did want to meet up with her. But I didn't want to tell her I was going to meet up with her. So I drove to the other store where she told me she was going, and I backed into this parking spot so she couldn't see me, and I waited for her to come out of the store. This was a stakeout. It was awesome. She soon got in her car, and she drove to the place where she was going to eat, and I followed her without her knowing it. I really like this kind of stuff, i got to tell you. I'm thinking private detective when this pastor gig dries up. But I saw her exit the car, and walked toward the restaurant, and I thought I was being really creative, so I drove around the parking lot where she couldn't see me, and then I finally just pulled up alongside of her, and she was talking to someone else, some stranger, and before she noticed, I rolled the window down, and I said, "Uh, can you tell me where Del Taco is? (laughs) And she turned and saw it was me. And as you can imagine, she was just overjoyed. (laughs) She was beside herself, oh so enamored and enthralled, that I had decided to join her. See, I was with Julie the whole time. Not loudly, not overtly, more hidden and subtle. And she was actually unaware of my presence. And I believe God is with us in similar ways in every challenge, every obligation, every dirty diaper, every smud bill payment, Every fill-up of the gas tank, every time we let the dog out, every time we laugh, cry, cook, wonder, or plan. So secondly, let's talk about living with awareness. I was in San Francisco this past Monday, and I was walking a bit 
in the city. I was testing, frankly, my back to see if it would hold up or how long it would hold up. And at one point, I crossed a street and I sat down for a few moments on this cement stump right in the middle of a busy intersection. And this city bus pulled up and stopped pretty close to me. And a handful of people got off. And one person walked down the sidewalk. And when they passed the open door to the bus, they turned to the bus driver and said, thank you. And then the bus drove away. And I don't know why, but I was stabbed by this scene. And it actually moved me. And I noticed it because I was present to the event. I was there in the moment. I wasn't texting. I wasn't thinking about where else I could be or where else I should be. And through this seemingly small and insignificant event, believe it or not, I experienced God. And in particular, the goodness and grace he's poured out upon all people, to use Psalm 145, and upon this world. And I celebrated in that moment or two. And it all started with a little thank you from a stranger to a bus driver. But I would miss that 95 out of 100 times. And the only reason I noticed it this time is because I sat down for a moment. And I was attentive to what was happening in my life and in my surroundings. In the course of working on this message, I came across what I found to be a rather unnerving statement. God is content to go unnoticed. His presence in our lives is quiet. His style is subtle. He is undramatic. He is hidden. He does not force himself on us, and he does not force our attention on him. And I imagine we all know how easy it is in the midst of real life to set our hearts on things below and set our minds on things below not on God or the things of God. Not that we would abandon all of the projects and tasks and obligations uh, we have in life so we can sit somewhere and ponder God. Not saying that, but that we would be present to God while we are engaged in those projects and tasks and obligations. So where real life is happening in all of its mundane messiness, we would be aware of God's presence in the world and in our hearts, and in the circumstances of our day, awake and aware and alert, so that busy street corners might become occasions to see and to hear and to experience the grace and the goodness of God that saturates this world. See, we're so frantic and divided and hectic of soul. We are often inattentive to God's presence with us. We are far from the vision we are imagining here. One writer says, the fault of non-presence is with us, not with God. He is there. He is here. But we're somewhere else. Too tired, maybe. Too hurried, maybe. Or maybe, most of all, too restless. So we're rarely present right where we are in the now. We are typically somewhere in the future where we want to be or somewhere in the past where we have been or somewhere in technoland. And God is content to go unnoticed. Perhaps you've experienced this. You're having a conversation 
and the other person you're with is talking and they're sharing. And then they stop talking. So you start talking, sharing a little, little bit about yourself and what's going on in your life. And as you talk and as you share, believe it or not, without an ounce of hesitation, they pick up their phone and they check whatever they are checking while you are talking. Might I recommend you toss your applesauce on them next time that happens? It's called the sin of non-presence. When I was a kid sitting in the waiting room of the doctor's office, I used to get these allergy shots. So I'd go there all the time and sit and wait. I used to flip through a magazine called Highlights. Maybe it still exists. But I'd immediately flip back to the section called Hidden Pictures. And there would be a drawing of some kind. And within the drawing, there would be hidden pictures to find. So a baseball bat would somehow be part of a doorway, or a salt shaker would be hidden in the dog's paw. And the point was to carefully study the picture to find the hidden pictures within it. Finding the hidden pictures of God in the midst of a high-speed, hurried, distracted, restless, and technologically overdosed world is impossible. Not hard. It's impossible. Unless we purpose to live with awareness. We intentionally live with an awareness of God. We choose, in other words, to be present to Him even as we fulfill the demands of our lives. We find ways, if you will, to sit on the cement stump in the midst of the busy city with our eyes and our ears and our hearts open to what is happening in and around us. In other words, we study the picture of our circumstances and relationships and obligations and challenges to find the hidden pictures of God and His grace and His goodness. Now, this may seem like a nice extra for those who have the time or inclination to do it, but I don't even know what it means to be a follower of Jesus if it doesn't mean we purpose to live with awareness of his presence in the midst of our real lives and in the midst of the world. Now, this might sound extreme, maybe even a bit bold, but in light of who God is and in light of the Bible's story of his presence, With his people, living with awareness of God is not hard. And it is not hard work. It is actually harder, in light of who God is, to live unaware of him. In light of who God is, we have to be purposeful about living with unawareness of his presence. And it is rather odd, I think, to profess to follow a risen king who is present in us and in the world and yet be virtually unaware of him in real life. Something is off with this picture. We celebrate a living Savior, but are unaware of him in the particulars of our real lives, almost like we don't expect to encounter him. We don't really expect to see, or to hear. So we don't look, and we don't listen. Long time ago, we celebrated Easter with some friends, and there was to be a plastic 
egg hunt as part of this Easter celebration. And I thought, oh, that's nice. That's cute. A little break from parenting, and the kids will enjoy it. But, as you can imagine, I was otherwise uninspired by searching for plastic eggs with two little jelly bellies in it. But then the host announced there was money in some of these plastic eggs. $5 bills, $20 bills, and in some cases, as I recall, a $50 bill here or there. And guess what? I found inspiration. (laughs) Suddenly the egg hunt was not just nice or cute or for the kids. It was for me. And I'd knock any age over to get those eggs and pocket that money. The moment I realized there was treasure in those ordinary plastic eggs, I paid attention. My eyes opened. And I started looking. So thirdly, let's talk for a minute about celebrating his good gifts. James 1, verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And note James's use of the all-inclusive. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Psalm 145.9, a verse that might mess with our paradigm a little bit, but it is a beautiful verse. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. And note the psalmist's use of the all-inclusive. The Lord is good to all and has compassion on all he has made. Living with awareness of God's presence opens our eyes to the God-given treasures to be found in the midst of ordinary life. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. A thank you at the bus stop. A good conversation with a friend. A beautiful sunset. A dog's happy greeting in the morning. A job and the ability to do it. A family. A mother. Their love. Their investment. Their unseen work. Their devotion to our well-being. Their prayers for our flourishing. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And there are a whole bunch of good and perfect gifts hidden in the ordinary of this world and in the stories of our lives. A few weeks ago, I spent some time with a friend I've known since my sophomore year of high school. So he is my age. And he has three kids, and they range from the ages of nine to four. I'm thankful he has these children. And I'm thankful I don't. His daughter, Lexi, is four years old. And I was playing with her one of the days I was there. And I looked at her one time and I said, you're a baby. And she started laughing. And she said, no, I'm not a baby. And this went on for the next 15 minutes. And every time I said, you're a baby, her deep belly laugh went to another level. And she shouted out between gasps, no, I'm not a baby. So I grabbed her and I held her like this and I rocked her like a baby. And at one point I looked down at her in my arms. 
And she was just gazing at me with these beautifully innocent eyes. And she was grinning, the perfect grin. And for a moment, I realized I've not been in this situation for a while. Sam's too big to hold and to rock. I looked at her as she's in my arms. I said, you're a baby. And she said, no, I'm not a baby. She had a perfect smile on a perfect face. And her belly laugh was the epitome of joy and celebration. And I thought then, and I think now, it's a good life. Filled with many good gifts. Saturated with the presence of God. Filled with goodness. If only we can see and if only we can hear. All because he is a very good God. Let's pray together. We are gathered here today because we do believe, our Heavenly Father, that you are present with us and that you have poured out your goodness into this world. And it is everywhere if we have eyes that can see and ears that can hear. And so on this unique and important day where we celebrate mothers, where we hang out as families, where we are with those we care about. We pray that you would renew in us this sense of your goodness and of your grace and of your eternal joy that we might, in the midst of our real lives, taste this goodness, see this goodness, and celebrate this goodness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.